Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number one of World Haunting. This episode is entitled Velisca Axe Murder House. As we start our journey to the haunted world, it is only fitting to start near home, at least home for me. Every journey has to start at the first step, and this step is momentous. I grew up in the Midwest. I currently live in Omaha, Nebraska. And now this lies near the Iowan border. We actually we share a lot of commerce with a small city in Iowa called Council Bluffs. And around here there's a story that everyone knows. Everyone whispers about. It sends shivers down everyone's back. The Velisca Axe Murder House. Villisca, Iowa is a tiny town about one hour away from Omaha to the southeast. It is a little off the beaten path. No one should really know the name of this small town, in, uh, especially in Omaha, which is a very, very large metropolitan area. But everybody does. Iowa and Nebraska are full of these tiny towns. There are many, and they are insignificant, but everyone knows Velisca, at least. Most people do. On early morning, June 10th, 1912, a house was quiet. No one was seen out of the house, and there was no noise or activity. This may not be odd to the modern listener, but this was the time before Netflix and before PlayStation. People had chores to do in the morning, especially in a small town like Valeska, with a plot of land that needed tending to. Like any small town, this drew the curiosity of the neighbors. One neighbor decided to check on the home, Mary Peckham. She marched up to the door and knocked. Only silence answered. Deciding to maybe cross that boundary, Mary tried to open the door. But, in all honesty, back then that was okay. It was acceptable in a small town. Interesting, though. The door was locked. Like a good neighbor, Mary Peckham let out the family's chickens and called her Ross Moore, the brother of the owner of the house, Josiah Moore. Ross called the home phone, no response. He arrived and tried to knock on the door, still no answer. Ross, unlike Mary, had a key to the home. Ross Moore unlocked the door, and he and Mary Peckham entered the house. They explored the home until Ross entered the guest bedroom. What was inside shocked him. He found two children's lifeless bodies. They weren't his nieces. Josiah Moore's children, but uh, they were local girls. Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies lay on the bed, lifeless and bloody. Lena Stillinger was sprawled across the bed with defensive wounds. She had uh, fought back. To more of a horror, Ina was found with her gown pushed above her waist, and she was missing her undergarments. Um, Later, sexual assault was presumed. Ross Moore immediately grabbed Mary Peckham and told her to go and call the sheriff. Sheriff Horton arrived soon after and investigated the crime scene. 
and that's when more bodies were found. Josiah Moore and his wife Sarah were found in the master bedroom, dead. Josiah's body was so badly damaged that his eyes were just missing. The Moore's children's room hosted the remains of all four of their children. Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul were all bludgeoned to death. The scene included blood everywhere. A shoe had filled with so much blood that it had tipped over and the blood spilled all over the floor. Eight lives were taken by what was discovered to be an axe left at the scene after the crime. It wasn't because the axe was bloody that gave it away. It had been worn down. The axe was dented and chipped from use. The killer had first walked into the parents' room, used the bladed end on the adults. The murderer moved to the Moore's children and used the handle to beat the miners to death. Then he proceeded to the guest room and bludgeoned the still injured girls. All the while, everyone slept until the killer came into the rooms. Like a poltergeist, the murderer crept from one room to another, merciless and sick. Only one waked to her death. Lena was the only one found to have tried to defend herself. The scene was sickening, not just for the blood in the children, which was mortifying. The faces were, were covered, as if in ritual, or a person who cared about the people he was killing. What was more sickening is they found two pounds of bacon by the axe for a for a purpose that was assumed to be sexual. What was most haunting is that it was discovered the killer had been waiting in the attic, waiting for that vulnerable moment to strike. We don't know how long he waited, but it couldn't be couldn't have been long. Only two cigarettes were smoked up there. But it was long enough to know the sound and voices of those he was about to murder. That is haunting to think about. There could be a killer in your attic waiting for you to fall asleep when you can't defend yourself. The scene of terror was ruined by over a hundred townspeople coming in and looking at their fellow man at their worst moment. One was ruined one was rumored to have taken a piece of skull from one of the victims. The site was desecrated. The investigators had trouble starting off to find the killer. They did find why the Stillinger girls were there. They had been invited to stay the night in a sleepover, a sleep they wouldn't wake from. The police had several suspects. Josiah Moore had enemies, and there was a transient in town named Andrew Sawyer. He was questioned because it is easier to believe a vagabond is the monster rather than the person you would see Sunday at church. Someone like a reverend. 1. Reverend George Kelly was also a suspect and was questioned. He bore suspicion due to his history of sexual exploitation. The man was a peeping Tom, 
and had asked several young girls to pose nude for him. Frank Jones, an Iowa state senator, was even accused. He was a businessman competitor of Josiah Moore and had even employed the man. The senator certainly had motive. Several others were accused of this crime, including a serial killer and a man thought to be hired by Senator Frank Jones. But, in the end, it was Reverend Kelly that was eventually arrested. Years after the crime, the man was in a mental hospital for sexual harassment. The police arrested him, at which point he confessed to the Axe murders. But, he was later acquitted after it was found the confession was coerced. Was the Reverend the killer? We don't know. Could this home have been the plot of a local politician? It's a mystery. We do know that the house was scarred by the murders. The site was desecrated by their friends and family. This house wasn't the same. Those that died wouldn't find justice in this life or solace in the afterlife. After the murders, the house was owned by eight different people or families. During this time, there are three reported incidents of haunting and possibly many unreported. Those that resided there claimed to have seen a shadowy figure with an axe standing at the foot of their beds. Shoes were also reported to have filled with blood, just as they had during the murder. The blood of the Moore's children. Some also say you can hear children crying in the halls. Next-door neighbors have reported people running out of the house screaming. In 1994, the home was purchased by Darwin Lynn and was restored. It was made into an attraction. You can actually pay to spend the night in the haunted home. In 1998, the house made it on the National Registry of Historical Places. The house has been investigated by several paranormal researchers. Villisca has now been the center of haunted reality television. It is popular and famous. Haunting websites and paranormal blogs flood with personal experiences of those who can pay for the chance to be haunted. Some claim that toys brought are played with, no children present. Movements have been heard in the attic. It is even a challenge in my area of the woods to stay the full night without fleeing. Some do run away before sunrise. They blame their flight on flickering lights, hearing children's laughter, or just a particularly bad game of Ouija board. This could all be false, of course. It is a tourism spot, and people enjoy being frightened. People like you. It is easy to convince yourself those sounds aren't a ghost, but the wind. Well, what if they're not? What if someone, something, is hiding, waiting for you to fall asleep? Maybe there's an echo of what happened in this house in a sleepy Iowa town. The house, after all, is still taking victims. 
On November 7, 2014, a ghost hunter named Robert Stephen Larson Jr. was in the Villisca Axe Murder House for some, er, some recreational ghost hunting. His stay did not last a night. Much like many others, only this was different. A little after midnight, he called to his fellow paranormal investigators asking for help. He had been stabbed, you see, in the chest. He was found in one of the rooms where one of the murders took place. Alone. It was determined later that the stab was self-inflicted, that he stabbed himself. He was flown to Omaha, Nebraska to receive medical treatment, and he did recover from the wound. But no story has come forward as to why he stabbed himself. Perhaps the Velisca Axe Murder House just needed one more victim. Or perhaps Larson just enjoyed the paranormal too much and uh, took a sick, twisted habit a little too far. Either way, the house remains open. Anyone can stay the night. Even you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Expect another next month. This podcast was narrated by Kevin Petrowski. It was written and produced by Ben McCall. Please visit our site, Munin American Media Group. WordPress.com. If you have something to add or comment, please leave a comment.
for this podcast under iTunes or whatever media you happen to be using to listen. Or you can contact us at our email, worldhaunting at yahoo.com. Please check out our other podcast, Monster Myth. It is a comedy podcast with a discussion of monster lore and myths. But I should warn you, the show uses lewd language. Look it up on our podcast app under Monster Myth.